If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With the power of Peyton on your side, we have the courtroom experience that you need. We never give up. We're prepared to fight for your rights. When you need action, count on us. Put the power of Peyton on your side. The power of Peyton. And good Thursday morning to you. This is 580 WCHS, the voice of Charleston. I'm Jeff Jenkins with you with Harvey Peyton of the Peyton Law Firm in Nitro 304 345 Harvey is here for your calls. Any questions? About legal issues, 304-345-5858, 304-345-5858. Harvey, I've uh, been in Nitro a couple of times the last couple of weeks doing some basketball games Drove right by your beautiful office. Oh, good. I'm glad you yeah. on a nice, newly paved first avenue. Yes. Yeah, our office building, it's not the newest structure on First Avenue in Nitro because the building, we built it in 1994. But it's really held the test of time well. It was designed by a guy named Lloyd Miller, who was with Envision Architects at the time, and Hazler Construction Company, a union contractor from Hurricane, built the building. And, uh, you know, we've, we've really well maintained it. The day Tim gave me the keys, he said, let me give you a word of advice. Never let anybody smoke in this building, ever. And we've adhered to that. Caught the cleaning folks smoking one time. I said, no, can't do that. I don't care, you know. Go outside if it's cold. Go out there and stand on the front porch out of the wind, but don't be smoking in the building. And it because you don't need to repaint as often. You're, you don't worry about your HVAC system getting uh, gummed up. Ceiling tiles don't discolor. And so we've maintained that. We're really proud of our building. We have a nice reception room. We're right on the corner of 28th Street and First Avenue, and uh, we own almost the whole block there. When I Bought the lot, one of the lots where I built the building. It was owned by, uh, well, the the, the uh, two-story block building that sits right beside our building was owned by Dr. Veazey, who was actually Rudy DiTrapano's brother-in-law. Hmm. He was a dentist in uh, Nitro. His sister married Rudy DiTrapano. Now, how, how Veazey from Nitro coupled up with DiTrapano from up Cabin Creek, I don't know, but so... Uh, but the, the lot, there was a doctor's office in an old house. Doc Bland had an office in the house for our office, since one of them. And uh, Doc Bland's daughter married attorney Luke Michael's son, and so they ended up owning the lot, and I bought it, well, not really secondhand from them, and bought an empty house and tore it down, bought another empty house and tore it down. And that's where our office building and the 
garden spot behind it is. Our parking lot out back, we didn't own. I leased it off of Daryl Young and his brothers who had the building on the corner. Then when they retired, uh, the firm was able to buy their building and the lot, so the parking lot. So we're in pretty good shape. And the building in the middle, my wife owns. That's where we have an apartment in there and some stories, but we're selling that to the law firm this spring. So Tom will in the future have more flexibility with what he wants to do with the property. Things, you know, we've, progress is being made in Nitro. I'm, I'm usually a cynical, anti, about half negative about the government. But I have, I have a hard time anymore finding anything to be negative about Mayor Casebold or the city council or anything really the city's done. I mean, there was a, had a bad problem with an eyesore there at the 22nd and 23rd Street. It's where the old Van Buren's dress shop and Casto Hardware in Napa was located. And it had been an antique shop, hadn't operated for a number of years, and was in slow decline. So that was the city facilitated the purchase of that lot by Taco Bell. And Is that what they're clearing now? Is yeah, that what I saw it's there? Being torn okay, down, right, it's right. being demolished. They've leveled the ground, right. so Loftus, they're ready to go. Rodney yeah. Loftus is down there taking the building down, as yeah. I understand it. By midsummer, mm-hmm. they'll have a full scale, full sized, primarily drive through, because Taco Bell is primarily a drive through. Huge drive through. Yeah, that's yeah, their they huge do. business. Oh, okay. They don't they care do. much about yeah. – I, I worked with them a little bit when they were looking for another parcel of nitro, which I thought was too small. And their answer was, well, look, we, we're not really a dining room no. place. We're, you know, we have a dining room, but we're a drive-through. So we want plenty of – like they've got a whole city block there. So the store, I think, is going to be more up onto the street. The drive-through will be in the rear, maybe a two-lane drive-through. It'll be nice, a lot of lighting, you know, and it will bring people off the interstate. Uh, we got some streets paved. We got the parking lot over by the library and the city park paved. They're putting down astroturf on some of the ball fields. And next stop will be Riding Hour Lake, mm-hmm. where, which is a great recreational facility. But you know, everybody admits the problem with Riding Hour Lake is and always has been turbidity. The water is kind of muddy almost all the time. It gets a lot of drainage from the interstate and the drainage around there from you know where Walmart is mm-hmm. and those areas. Uh, the lake's been there for 50 years, and so now it's time for some relooks and renovation by the Corps. And everybody's searching for a pro- an answer to that issue. Just clear the water up a little bit. It doesn't have to be like Lake Tahoe, but I think with a little, you know, visually attractive. It's not dirty. It's not polluted. It just has a high degree of particulate matter in the water. Silt. Uh, get that cleaned up, and we'll see some... I mean, it's the only, it's the biggest uh, public enclosure, freshwater enclosure, I think, in the area. I don't know of anyone any bigger. Mm-hmm. You can't have motorboats, but you certainly have kayaks and paddle boats and canoes and things of that nature. And then you'll have, you have dozens of construction workers putting that bridge across the river, too. Oh, yeah. That's, listen, that's good. The good thing about that, I had to have a tooth. I broke a tooth under a crown, and it really wasn't worth doing a root canal, so he just took it out to put an implant in. Well, the young lady who was helping me, at, you know, the nurse or the dental assistant down in Taze Valley, uh, we got to talking, and she came in and was doing the prep, and I said, well, where's your husband work? Well, he says, he's working first time in like five years. He's able to get up, sleep in his own bed every night and get up and go to work. He got, works out of the operating engineers, and he's 
working equipment down there at the I-64 bridge job, which is really good. I mean, you're going to have, I'd say the operating engineers probably got 50 men down there now. You know, truck drivers, laborers have got some of the work. You know, they got flaggers, they got the cleanup. And uh, after that come the you know, carpenters, steel work, iron workers, like Don Legg. It's the Donald M. Legg Memorial Bridge. Who's Donald M. Legg? Donald Legg was a man from Putnam County. I knew his brother-in-law real well, Jack Brown. He married a Brown girl from like Black Betsy, her hometown. He was working on the bridge and fell and was killed. He mm-hmm. was a Union iron worker on the bridge and was fell and was killed in the late 60s. Tragically, his daughter. Remember, like, two years ago, there was this horrible thing where a family from Eleanor, a man and his wife were transporting a camping trailer for a company down to North Carolina. A tractor trailer hit them and killed them both. Mm-hmm. Well, the woman was Don Legg's daughter. Mm. Has a, just, like, things were... Some families just have a dark cloud over them, I guess. But I assume they're going to keep the name. I hope some mm-hmm. cheap politician doesn't root the name away because it's really deeply founded in Putnam County, and particularly on the you know, the northeast side of the river in the hometown area. It used to be a lot of a lot of people there that followed the construction trades. I mean, pipe fitters, iron workers, you know, carpenters, a lot of people worked out there. A lot of people up on Red House Hill worked out of the laborers local down here. A lot of them working for, in demolition, which is the highest level for, you know, laborers generally are clean up and digging, you know, when they, there's a little bit of the lower level of work on a job where there are a lot of crafts, but in demolition, that's all laborers work. They operate the equipment, they operate the shears, they operate the the bobcats, the trucks, and everything. So it's good work. A lot of those fellas, it was, uh, if they taken everybody, it's like I used to say, if they took everybody from Buffalo and made them quit working on the railroad, the trains for Conrail would have stopped because they wouldn't have had anybody to fix the track. <laughs> And if they made everybody on Red House Hill quit Cleveland wrecking, there wouldn't have been anybody to tear down these units and rebuild them at Carbide. Anyway, here we are, and I hope we get some calls. The legal business has been perking right along. It's like everything else. We still are all masked up. Uh, I got my second vaccination day before yesterday with absolutely no problem. Uh, in our office, we fully staffed. We have, uh, you know, Melody. Matthew's our receptionist. Unfortunately, she lost her dad. Bill Whittington passed away uh, a few weeks ago. A long and full life, a good, great American, a good citizen. And but we have you know, four. Melody is the receptionist bookkeeper. Four legal assistants, and Tom and I. So we're steady, ready, and willing every day to help people with what they need help with. Mostly people who are injured, either property damage or physical injury or financial loss related to uh, related to harm done by another person or allegedly done by another person. I mean, interesting things crop up. You run across, I do a lot myself, of litigation that involves estates. Mm-hmm. Well, what is there to litigate? Well, is this will valid for one thing? Is this, what do you do if you have a lost will? You have to litigate that issue. What do you do if you've got a blended family and someone makes a claim for an elective share of an estate uh, and challenges what is to be included? And a lot of these cases involve a lot of money. Uh, an interesting one percolate perhaps now is forensic, uh, forensic genetics. How does a person establish conclusively that they're the biological child of a decedent? Uh, 
if the decedent was cremated. Hmm. Bang. I mean, so I mean, that's like putting a puzzle together. And then I do a lot of transactional work right now because Tom does most of the litigation. If someone wants to talk about their estate plan or file a simple contract or what it takes to buy or sell a piece of real estate or establish a family cemetery, which is some taken care of today, uh, then I do that mm-hmm. because you can do it with the understanding of the client pretty well at your own pace. Say, look, I, I'm not going to turn this around in a week. It's going to take two or three weeks because I've got other things to do. And, and if they just say, well, i got to have it before then, so, well, you know, I, that's fine. I respect that. You know, try so-and-so and see if they can do it. But uh, I've told, I saw the mayor at lunch the other day, and I told him, I said, you don't have enough lawyers in Lexington. And they sort of sniggered, and, uh, you know, people, the, my observation is that John Q. Public is underserved in some areas, even of Kanawha and Putnam County, because when lawyer advertising became legal, acceptable, I don't know if it's still acceptable, but it's certainly legal, in the late 1970s, the purpose was basic legal services would be subject to advertising and price competition would keep prices stable or make basic legal services available to the public. They would know what they were getting into. Well, that's not what happened. The unintended consequences now were flooded with ads. And if you think it's bad here, go to Florida or South Carolina and look at the television. It's almost nonstop ads. Uh, So, unfortunately, we've got a profession... There's nothing certainly wrong. I mean, we do most of our work is injury work. That's where we make most of our money and dedicate a lot of resources. But there's nothing wrong with also providing people with what they need. I mean, you just have to have some basic expertise. But to find anyone now who wants to start a career just helping people Mm -hmm. do the kind of things they need, and a good living could be made doing that. It just doesn't seem, I've mentioned it to the dean of the law school, why don't you have a track for local general practice? You've got a litigation track, you've got an oil and gas track, you've got a consumer law track, you've got an MBA track, you know, area tracks of study for students. How about a general, local general practice track so that we can get good lawyers who are willing to do the work in areas that are underserved in West Virginia? We had... Jerry McCormick had an office down the street. Jerry had had a long time, 40-year-plus practice doing real estate work. Well, Jerry passed away. I mean, he got leukemia. It was just tragic. Well, he had an office, and he had a practice that someone could have gone in there and sat and retained some of his staff and worked maybe 50 hours a week. You wouldn't have to work 60 or 70 hours a week. Maybe you could work 40 hours a week and made a really decent living. And his longtime legal assistant tried and tried to market the practice on that, and there's no takers. Hmm. There's no takers. So they ended up shredding the files, closing the office, and selling the building to the grocery store next door. And, you know, we just, we're covered up. We get folks constantly who were Jerry's clients. St. Albans at one time had 10 lawyers. They now have one I know of. Hmm. 
Susie Shepard, who's a perfectly good lawyer, she but she restricts her practice mostly to domestic work. <clears throat> so what do you do? Uh, Steve Swisher's still in Dunbar, but there's one of him, and Steve's older than I am. I mean, he's not got any associates, and uh, just like me, I mean, I don't want to take on 60 hours worth of work a week. So I don't know what the answer is. Uh, maybe the law school will have the answer. I, I don't know. If we have First, we're going to have our first get-together of the State Bar Association or the West Virginia Bar Association. The State Bar is down at the Green Bar. The Bar Association is up at Stonewall. We're the, uh, we're the kitchen table bar, not the dining, not the white tablecloth bar, in May. And uh, it's a real estate conference. So usually there's a representative from the law school there. We hope the new dean, I'm not sure she's on board yet, will be there and we can bring that up. Why don't we see what you can do about serving? You know, we don't, it's, it's hard to get general practitioner doctors to serve rural areas. And it's really hard to get lawyers who aren't, don't want to be millionaires. So. Hmm. Well, let's take our break, Harvey. Yeah. And i got a couple questions for you when we sure. come back. And the lines are open. Any questions about the law for Harvey, 304-345-5858, 304-345-5858. It's 837. Back in a moment on 580 WCHS. Text us to receive up to five marketing texts sent via automated technology to your number. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Membership automatically renews. Cancel any time. Hi, you ever heard of Beachbody On Demand? Hold on a second. Here is your free membership. I'm Carl Deichler, the CEO of Beachbody, and I just sent a free membership to another customer. And I'm giving away 10,000 free memberships a week to anyone who texts me right now to try our new Beachbody On Demand fitness and nutrition app. Just text the word BEST to 303030 to get instant access to all $8,000 of our best-selling fitness programs, like 21 Day Fix, Insanity, P90X, T20, and Pio. These programs really work, and this is your one chance to try them for free. Just text the word BEST to 303030. That's B-E-S-T to 303030 right now, and I'll send you your own free membership. Brought to you by City National Bank, ranked number one in the region in customer satisfaction three years in a row by J.D. Power & Associates. For a convenient location near you, log on to bankatcity.com. Traffic is moving very well through the capital city on this Thursday morning commute. A word to the wise, though, if you're heading in eastbound on I-64, grab the sunglasses. It'll be hitting you right in the face as you head to the Fort Hill Bridge this morning. Also, we do have crews out today. They will be patching and milling for potholes today, so keep an eye out for those. They are active in all 55 West Virginia counties today, and the rain should arrive later today, so be prepared for those driving conditions. It's 8.39 on 580 WCHS, the voice of Charleston, Jeff Jenkins with Harvey Payton of the Payton Law Firm in Nitro, 22 years on the air here on 580 WCHS, Harvey on Thursday mornings. And the lines are open, 304-345-5858, 304-345-5858. Okay, I want to ask a couple questions. Sure. One, um, 
and it's kind of maybe undercovered because it's really not that sexy, so to speak. But there was this long work last year through the past year during the pandemic by a group of lawmakers and they're on rewriting the state's criminal code, right. which to me would be like a huge job where they, you know, they came up with a work product. They got it through the House. They got it to the Senate. Charlie Trump, the Judicial Committee chair, just said, you know, it's too much to take up in the last day, but it's a good product. And we're going to continue to we're going to continue to look at it and work on it over the next year. So I just wanted your comments on well, what my you comment think about on it is it, it's a uh, it's a, certainly a good idea. It's a good concept. Mm-hmm. We do have areas of the criminal law in West Virginia that are outdated. Sentencing on some for some offenses, I think, too high. Most judges agree to that. Some it's not high enough. Judges don't have enough flexibility. We still adhere to a lot of uh, common law definitions of what a crime is. What is murder? I mean, what is uh, what is burglary? What is breaking and entering? Uh, what if you go into a store and hide in the restroom until the store locks up and go in and steal things, is that grand larceny or is that breaking and entering? How, how do you punish that? The difference can be between a year in jail and one to five. And those sort of things need to be straightened out there. And there some some offenses from the teens and 20s, which are really uh, anti-labor or anti-organizational offenses, just need to be done away with. I, I haven't seen the bill. I knew it was in works. I mean, I... Brandon Steele, I know Brandon. He's mm-hmm. kind of a friend of mine. I think he's he's way off base on some of the things he's proposed, but I think he's right on base on leading this. John Schott was also on right. this right. task force, and I think that Charlie Trump did the right thing by saying, "Look, we can't jam this. Let's send this to the state sentencing commission, mm-hmm. and let the judici- I think what will happen now is the state bar needs to get a look at it. The state bar association needs to get a look at it." The uh, Association for Justice needs to take a look, and the state judiciary needs to take a look to make sure that that we come up with something really good. I mean, we're going to get a we're going to get an intermediate appellate court that's been signed. It's yeah. now half the size the Senate proposed. And as I've told you, my fear is with a supermajority, if the legislature wants an intermediate appellate court, we're going to get one. Now the question is, did we get the best we we should? Well, I don't think so with this compromise because I think it's too small and I don't think it's going to be able to efficiently handle the caseload. But I'm hoping if that becomes apparent that people have enough integrity to say, well, we were wrong about that, it's never going to go away. Let's expand it to cut down the backlog, right? Go from the three back to the six proposed by the Senate. With the sentencing, if we're going to rewrite the criminal code, this is a once in a for lifetime undertaking, mm. we haven't had a comprehensive rewrite of the criminal code in my career. We've had a few revisions of certain sections of the code. We completely revised sexual offenses, for instance, uh, so that there's no longer a common law offense of rape, which was ill-defined. There we have several degrees of sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, and varying degrees of sentencing. But when you start looking at larceny offenses, crimes against the public peace, drug offenses in particular, this is a really good idea, I think. And I think the more input, the better. And if it takes a year and they have to have some realistic interim committee meetings about this, I think it would be a really good thing. And the really good thing would be if you could come up with a complete consensus, bipartisan consensus, get the governor on board, the Supreme Court, 
the voluntary and mandatory bar associations and the legislature and just pass it and then implement it. You're going to have to change some of the rules. The rules of criminal procedure, which the Supreme Court controls, are going to have to be modified, I suspect, as you change the way people are sentenced. And so pick a date far enough in the future that you can implement without tripping over yourself, and maybe it's going to be 2023. Maybe it'll be 2024. But if you start talking about changes in an entire section of the code, and criminal law in and of itself is a universe, if you're going to alter the course of the universe, a year or so's time in getting it absolutely right, when it's going to stay in, in place for another 100 years at least, no harm, no foul. I think that I think it's been handled well. They came up with a product. I have a lot of confidence in John Schott, for sure. I wish he was still up there. And I have a lot of confidence in Charlie Trump, for sure. Although I disagree with Charlie on some of these economic issues, Charlie Trump's a good guy. He's smart, and he's a good lawyer. And uh, he did the right thing. Let's pump the brakes a little bit and see what happens in 2022. Okay, then the House did a similar thing on uh, the election bill. That was discussed, and they've pumped the brakes on that. It passed the passed the Senate, uh, and uh, so it would move back early voting. It would uh, deal with a couple other things. I mean, it's not it's not the Georgia bill, which some people were saying it was not wasn't that. Or, no, it's not. Or, the bill. But but they but the House Judiciary Committee decided House leadership obviously decided not to run it in the last couple of days either. And you wonder if that's is that really a, a solution in search of a problem? I mean, the Senate appears to be far more conservative and oriented toward the the MAGA point of view. I don't know how else to express it. What was wrong with the West Virginia election the last time? I mean, we have we have photo ID, and we because of the pandemic emergency permitted universal mailing of absentee ballots, but we still don't have under ordinary law. No excuse absentee balloting. We don't have mail. That's mail-in, but we don't have universal mail-in voting. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a big problem with registration when you get a driver's license, except the problem that cropped up over in uh, Harper's Ferry where mm-hmm. DMV made a mistake. That case should have never gotten as far as it did. And, again, it's when you, when you see controversy taking place like you see in Georgia – like you're going to see in Texas, like you're going to see in Arkansas. Uh, maybe that's just not a, a skillet we want to jump into right now. Let's stop and take a look, get some more input. In, let the let, Everybody's upset about this election. You know, I think it's a big lie. The idea that this election was stolen is just a lie. It's not true. It was promulgated for political purposes by people who want to make money off of it. But some people... Believe it. Now, I don't think that Mike Warner in his heart believes that the national election was stolen. He knows better. But he also looks around at his electorate and he's thinking, I might want to run for another office. And there are people out here in the hills and hollers who just buy the the Hannity line that somebody stole something. And we don't have to prove it. They have to prove they didn't steal it. Uh, just let the steam go out of this thing and take a look at the election bill. I think it's a good move on the part of the House to pump the brakes. All right, no, something else. They, the House passed, because everything else that happened yesterday, we, we, we re-reported it, kind of got, not to get as much attention, but they passed a, res, a concurrent resolution yesterday in the House. In order for it to 
to go to go into effect, the Senate would have to pass it too. But I guess in the Emergency Powers Act within state law right now that the governor, and we've talked about that, has a lot of power. He does. There's a provision in there that allows the legislature to pass a concurrent resolution that basically would put emergency orders to bed. I mean, right. they can. So the House did pass right. a resolution yesterday. Now, I don't think the Senate's going to take it up, but uh, but they did pass a resolution yesterday to. Yeah, they uh, did. Yeah, uh, yeah. A year into the pandemic. Yeah. And, and, you know, here, here's the thing. Had the Senate, the Republican majority in the state Senate, agreed to call right. a special session of the legislature eight months ago. Right. This could have been dealt with. Anybody, I mean, it's sort of. The House was ready to go in. The House was ready to go in. Right. And, and they now right. passed this joint resolution, which is the amount of the control. The governor's powers under the Emergency Act are not unlimited. They're really, really broad. The legislature, however, always has the, the, che- the balance and check to call themselves into session and to modify these emergency orders. They could have done it any time this year. The Senate just didn't do it. And I don't know why. I mean, I think the handling of this CARES money that's been sitting around for months and months, maybe the idea was, well, we're going to pile this money up and use it to fund an income tax cut, which in my estimation would be grossly irresponsible. But irresponsible conduct seems to be the, in some parts of the Senate, the rule of the day. Yeah, so they did, but the Senate's not going to go along with it. It would essentially end... The state of emergency affected May one, I think. It's, there's no more ma- no more universal masking. And that's, and that's really all that's left of yeah. the of the executive orders is the mask. And and the mask. Yeah, that, and the it. recommended. Well, I think all establishments have been restored to 100. Yeah. percent Yeah. There are recommendations for social distancing, but masking is really the only mandatory statewide. Uh, you can't mandate vaccines. I don't think you can mandate. And there's some dispute, I guess, about whether a, 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 a private employer mandate a vaccine as a condition of return to work. Well, you can mandate a drug test. You know, I don't and we might get, be getting into that, right? I mean, you might see employers mandate. Yeah. You know, you, well, you, you have your card. Right? I don't know what the rule was at Toyota. But I do know that Toyota had a mass vaccination for their yeah. employees and their families. Yeah. Because... Amber Ganeau, who works in our office, her husband Dave works down at Toyota. And on a Saturday about two weeks ago, they all gathered at the plant and they got the one-shot Johnson & Johnson. Now, whether that was mandatory, I have no idea. I, I didn't ask none of my business. Uh, but if you got a job at Toyota and you've been there a couple of years and the choice is get a shot or lose your job, my advice is get the shot because yeah. those are really, really good jobs, some of the few around. Yeah. Which is growing. Oh, it is growing. Yeah. And might grow faster. You never know. Yeah. If we get this income tax cut, we'll just all be living in paradise here in a couple. 304-345-5858. 304-345-5858. Harvey Payton is with us at the Payton Law Firm. Lines are open. 304-345-5858. The legislature didn't do much with the lawyers this time. Uh, The intermediate appellate court, I guess, was viewed as a sort of an us versus them. And, and over the years, you have not been totally against the idea of uh, intermediate well, court. You've I wasn't from the beginning. I mean, the position right. of the West Virginia Association for Justice, the trial lawyers, has been consistently that we don't need it. 
Uh, it's too expensive. It delays the claims of our clients who don't have any money against people who do have the money. And that's all true. That's all true. And that's all within our interest. Uh, I don't know that the idea that we're going to have better appellate law is uh, was spouted by the other side is, is all true. But in, for me, I did a lot of reading when this first came up and looked at other states like Virginia, Connecticut. I have sympathy, empathy with people who have workers' compensation claims because they're, they're just handled uh, in bulk, en masse, by the Supreme Court in just dozens of, of uh, memorandum decisions that come out a few times during the term. They have three layers to go through. You, you file your initial claim. The claim's denied. You file a protest. If you want a hearing, you go to the Office of Judges. That ruling goes to the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board. It goes from there straight to the Supreme Court. And none of those, I mean, the Appeals Board does the best they can. It's a three-member board. They're not, they're understaffed. So why don't we do what, if that's a problem at the Supreme Court, why don't we do what Connecticut did and have a workers' compensation court, which is the court of last resort, and just have the administrative hearing level be the record-making level and then appeal that directly to the workers' compensation appellate court. They decide it. They're a court of last resort. That's the rule. That's the law. Unless it's a constitutional issue, that's it. Uh, Misdemeanors. There are any number of, I mean, we don't, under the current appellate court, misdemeanors can be appealed directly to the Supreme Court. To me, that doesn't make any sense. The misdemeanors that you see that are subject to appeal are almost always substance issues, drunk driving, involuntary manslaughter, vehicular homicide, uh, sometimes aggravated trespass, things of that nature, just Make the intermediate appellate court. They can assign a couple of their judges to that and make it the court of last resort. Once we decide this, that's it. And you could carve out another uh, subsection to take care of abuse and neglect, which is really good. Uh, so what might happen, and I think you referred to it earlier, is that you get this court established, then they kind of it works through a couple years, and then you say, okay. Now we're going to have it do this. Yeah, it's do, going to, I mean, yeah. it's going to be established because the bill's been passed and we're going to have a three-judge uh, panel. I assume they'll meet as a panel and not individually. And they'll, quote, utilize existing state facilities. Well, we're going to have to see how that goes. I mean, if you need to hear cases and you call the Ohio County Courthouse and the county commissioner or the court administrator says, you know, I'm sorry, but we we got five judges up here and we don't have any room. Call Judge Stamp at the federal building, and their answer is no. Security will not allow us anymore to have state court proceedings in this building. So what do you do? You go down to Mineral County, or not Mineral County, Marshall County. Well, no, we're we're booked. We're, we're just going to have to see how that works, how the travel works, and and how and it's not going to start until 2022. So it's not going to be it's effective in 90 days, but it doesn't commence mm-hmm. until, as I understand, July 2022. Uh, so we, it, wherever there appears to be a kink in that hose, then it's to the, up to the legislature to straighten it out. They they created this tar baby, and they're stuck to it now. And, uh, you know, if it turns out there's a kink in the hose and a, a case flow is bothersome or the facilities use is bothersome or the 
staffing and travel is cumbersome, then they'll, they'll have to straighten it out. And they will, because the public will just raise cane about it. <clears throat> you know, the Panhandle resents the Kanawha Valley anyway. So you're going to have to spread these judges around to satisfy people geographically. You can't have three judges from Beckley. I mean, if Governor Justice was doing it, you'd have one from Lewisburg, one from Beckley, and maybe maybe one from Bluefield. I mean, that's his wheelhouse, right? But but that's not going to satisfy people from Martinsburg or Wheeling. Uh, and then, so if you have a judge from Huntington and one from Lewisburg and one from Kaiser, what what time is involved in convening them in Charlestown? That's a five-and-a-half-hour drive. It's a six-hour drive from Huntington to get to Charlestown under normal conditions. So I don't... And so once you get there, how many cases are you going to hear? How long are you going to be in that one place? Then are you going to ride the circuit and go from there over to Morgantown or to Fairmont or to Parkersburg? And you've got a lot of regional uh, interest to satisfy there. We'll just have to see how it works mm-hmm. out. All right, Harvey. Uh, we've got about a minute here, uh, a couple minutes, maybe well, We do two have minutes. a couple yeah, minutes, but yeah. well, I can That's... talk for two minutes about the Peyton Law Firm all day long. And about <laughs> Putnam County, I had a... I uh, ran into Don Hayes the other day. Don's an engineer with uh, Randolph Engineering, one of the really top-notch engineering firms in Putnam County. Been there forever. Been there as long as I have. And I saw the obituary. Roger Randolph, who was the founder of Randolph Engineering, passed away about, I think, six, seven weeks ago. And, you know, Roger wasn't, he was 75. And... Uh, and he was one of those people, like Bill Whittington, Melody's dad, who was the mayor over at Buffalo for years and facilitated the Toyota plant. Roger was one of the engineers when we didn't have sewer and water in the valley. And subdivisions were put on hold that made the, well, COVID got him. And uh, it, was a, it was a shock to me, but that's just, it, it happened. We, our firm, I mean, we take great pride in the fact that we have served not just Putnam County. We have a lot of clients in Kanawha County, Logan County, Jackson, Mason, Cabell, Lincoln. But our principal place of operation that's been the best to us has been Putnam County because I've been there pretty much since the beginning. I mean, when I started practicing in Nitro, I grew up in St. Albans, relatives in Putnam and Mason. Uh, it had, the county had 30,000 people, and... Uh, there might have been a stoplight in Hurricane. I'm not sure about that. But, maybe one. but yeah, you can get in touch with the Peyton Law Firm. We're actually the first business you'll see when you go into Putnam County on Route 25. We're at the corner of 28th Street and 1st Avenue in Nitro. Putnam, or Peyton, PeytonLawFirm.com is the best way to get in touch with either me or my oldest boy, Tom, who, who I work for. And uh, you can send us an email which is the very best thing because we can answer those any time of the day or night and we can exchange information and ideas and documents and then we can move on officially with your uh, with your product. Now, next week, Tom will be here. Okay. So you'll have the better half of the paid law. I will not All right. be here. And, and to call the firm is 304-755-5556. It is indeed. Yeah, 304-755-5556. Or All right, Harvey, good to see you. Good seeing you. All right. All right. Harvey Payton of the Payton Law Firm in Nitro. And stay tuned to coming up here on 580 WCHS. We've got ABC News, Shauna Johnson with local news, and Dave Allen with 580 Live, and then Metro News Talk Line at 1006 this morning. This is 580 WCHS, the voice of Charleston.
580 WCHSAM, 96.5 FM, Charleston, and 10- If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.